0: What's up, Wolfpack? I'm Shane, and I'm your host on this little thing that we call the Good Wolf Song. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome and thank you for tuning in. We are so glad to have you. And if this is not your first time tuning in, then welcome back and thank you. It's always great to have you back. Whether this is your first time or not listening to the podcast, you need to get connected with me on social media. We have all kinds of extra content and continuation of these topics on our social medias and those are on Facebook and Instagram where we are the most active at Feed the Good Wolf Outfitters and on Twitter it's at ftgw_outfitters. outfitters that's as in Feed the Good Wolf underscore outfitters. Today I want to talk about slumps. When we get into slumps in our life and we find ourselves stuck there and most times when we, when we hit a slump, we are stuck there for a little while. That's why it's called a slump. And why is it that it's so easy to fall into these things but so hard to climb our way out? And it's different for everybody. Depending on your lifestyle, depending on the things that you do, the things that you enjoy, your slumps are going to be a little bit different from everyone else. So for you, maybe it used to be that you were excited in the morning to get up. To go to work or to school or or to get into the gym to get your workout done or maybe in particular say for instance on a Sunday morning if you're a person of faith it, it used to be exciting for you to get up and go to church and, and get into that place of worship but now you find yourself whatever it is that used to get you excited you almost kind of dread it. That excitement's gone and it's more than gone it's been replaced and if you can bring yourself to get up and go do the things that you once enjoyed, you don't really enjoy them anymore. And sometimes you don't do them at all anymore. You convince yourself that you don't enjoy doing those things anymore. This can happen with anything that we do. And it's easy to say this about you know work or school or working out. Or, or as bad as it sounds to say it, it we can even say this about church, and it's, it's almost understandable, right? To do the things that you know you really feel like you should do, and they make you a better person, or we feel like they make us a better person in some way or another, or they protect our livelihood going to work. It's easy to accept a slump for these types of things, but you got to be very, very careful, because this attitude, this spirit that encompasses being in a slump. It's a type of depression, and it will hit on anything it can latch itself onto. I have noticed this in my own life, even with my hobbies, whether that be, and and one that I notice a lot, if if I don't stay active in it, I fall into this slump. I enjoy knife making and blacksmithing. That's something I do on the side. I do it largely in the winter time because of the cooler weather, but also because my schedule is a lot more laxed in the winter time than it is in the summertime with everything I've got going on with work and with, you know, the lawn care and things like that at my own house. Uh, it's just easier to get into my shop in the winter time and to to have that free time. But I find myself it's about this time of year, May, June, July, where I start to look at blacksmithing and knife making and, and I, I might get an order that comes in and I say to myself, man, you know, I don't even really know if I want to do this anymore. I don't, you know, it's just kind of been a while and I'm just kind of okay. and I, I don't know. And then getting yourself, when you do get back into that shop the first time, it's, you kind of got to drag your feet. You kind of got to force yourself to do it a little bit. And then you remember why you enjoyed it so much. You remember what was therapeutic about it. You remember what you loved about it. But because you get into a slump and your mind begins to play tricks on you and begins to tell you you don't need that thing, you don't you don't even really enjoy that thing, think about all of the hardships that come with that thing. And with knife making, you know, you might you might work on something for a few hours and then you mess up. You make a fatal error and you have to start all over again. With work, it might be, Oh well, you got a hard day at work coming. You know, you got a uh, you got a big project, a big build that's coming up. That you know, you got to do the part that you hate the most about your job, or the part that you least love about your job. That's today. It's going to be a bad day. It, it makes it easy to 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 drag your feet a little bit. With school, I got a test coming up. I got finals coming up. I got uh, I got a big project due your mind is going to continuously play tricks on you. And that's a recurring theme in this podcast is that we have got to overcome our thinking, overcome that low-level existence of allowing our mind to take control of us. Your mind is an extremely powerful tool, and that's why we incorporated that into the theme song of this podcast. That if you truly decide that you can't be stopped, that nothing's going to bring you down, that you're not going to stay in these slumps, If you you decide that you're going to be your own master, that you're going to dictate your life, then nothing can stop you. And the only battle that you face is within yourself. You are your biggest enemy. And when you have that revelation, you can begin to make the changes that are necessary. You can begin to mold yourself. You can begin to start practicing the self-discipline. Start putting those habits and those those rituals into place that are going to change you for the better. You can start waking up in the morning and forcing yourself to be grateful for all the good things that you have going in your life. Even if you're getting ready to go into work and you don't have some. you're not grateful for that job that day. You should be, but if you can't make yourself be grateful for that job, be grateful for the roof that's over your head when you wake up. Be grateful that you don't have a bunch of water running into a tent or running up underneath the overpass that you have to sleep under, be grateful that you have something to hang on to. Because a lot of people don't even have that. If you can start practicing gratitude, then your day will will begin to shift. And in those first few minutes when you wake up, that I'm kind of getting off topic here, but it's a good thing, because you might learn something here. Those first five minutes when you wake up, before your mind is really firing on all cylinders, and you're just, you're kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of, back to caveman days, you're just a huga booga and you haven't had your coffee yet or you haven't had your energy drink yet or whatever it is that gets you going, you haven't done your workout yet, whatever it is that gets your blood flowing in the morning, you're just kind of stumbling around, you're rubbing your eyes. In those minutes, as your mind is waking up, if you can set an alarm on your phone, then when your alarm goes off, title your alarm, gratitude. Three points of gratitude. And as soon as you wake up and you roll over and you see that alarm and it says three points of gratitude, I want you to think about three things that you're grateful for right now in this very moment, no matter what they are, no matter how big or how small, I want you to think about what you're grateful for. If you do that and if you start to build on that and three things becomes the entire time you're brushing your teeth for two minutes or whatever that is, you're thinking about all the things you're grateful for. And as you're getting dressed, you're speaking out loud, I'm grateful for these clothes that I'm putting on. I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to choose an outfit today. That I don't have to wear the same thing. I'm grateful that I can go take a sh- that I have running water in my house, that I have lights and electricity to see and to control the temperature in my house. I'm grateful that I'm comfortable and that I feel secure. If you can start to exercise these gratitudes, your entire day will change because your mind will automatically be put It's it's like when you get in a vehicle and you put it in drive or you put it in reverse, okay? If you're parked in your garage and you put it in drive, you're going to go through the wall. That's a bad start to your day. If you put it in reverse, you're going to back out of the garage. You're going to be able to start your day. There's a time and a place for drive and for reverse. And sometimes you've got to reverse the thinking that you've allowed yourself to slip into and you've got to begin to take, take hard control over your mind and over thereby your life. How do we do that? What is a practical way? I I just gave you a practical way. We could stop the podcast right here, but I'm not going to. Here is what you've got to do. Big picture. I just gave you a great exercise. Here's a big picture. All right. And, and, and why do we get stuck in these places? Why? Because we're not grateful. Well, you might say to yourself, I am grateful. Well, I don't know if, if, if you were, and if, the big thing, if you really loved yourself, and I'll get into what that really means. If you really love yourself, you wouldn't be stuck there for very long. You'd still go through it because you're a human, okay? Don't get me wrong on that. But you wouldn't allow yourself to be stuck there. And you might say to yourself, well, I do love myself. I I, I love myself quite a bit. Maybe all of you don't. Maybe some of you have some self-loathing that you're working through. Well, I I... I admire you for having the, or the ability to admit that, if that's you. Once you admit it, you can begin to work on it. These actions of gratitude, these exercises of gratitude, being thankful for what you do have and building upon that. But whenever you really love yourself, it's not always easy to do. Sometimes love hurts, okay? And you might say, well, but I do love myself. I, I love myself enough that every weekend, even if it's for just one day, but, but typically Saturday and Sunday, I have those days off. I rest. I don't do anything. I, I, I rest. I get the relaxation I need. I, I treat myself to eating well and, and to eating right. I, I exercise both my body and my mind. I, I work out uh, and, I, and I try to learn something new at least once per week. I read regularly. I love myself, I work on myself. Well, sure, and that is self-love, but that's not all that it takes. To really love yourself is to be honest with yourself, and to be honest with yourself is to share some hard truths from time to time, right? We all know the phrase, tough love. We know that concept. We all know the concept of self-love. But how often do we apply tough self-love to ourselves. How often do we do that? Now what does that mean? Well if you, know the, if you know what self-love is, and most of us do, even if we don't practice it, we know what it is. Most of us know what tough love is. But I'll give you some examples. The easiest way to display this is from a parent to a child. And the reason that that's the easiest way to display it is because you have a parent who has gone through a, a, a pretty good portion of their lives and ha, who has experienced Many, if not all of the things that that child is experiencing as they grow up, all the emotions, all the fear, all the anxiety, all of the, uh, all of the growth hormones and the patterns and the habits and the, the phases that they go through, uh, th- that parent knows that, has been through it, and can then offer insight to that, or at least they know pretty close to what that child's going through. That child doesn't have that experience. They need to be taught that by their parent or by their guardian or by whoever it is that, that is entrusted to their care. And there's a lot of times where no matter what a parent or a guardian does or says, they can't quite convince that child of this imbalance that exists, that I do know what's best for you. And, and you've, it's not that you're dumb, it's just you've, you've yet to learn this. You've yet to have the experience that's necessary to be able to make a good, solid, rational decision here. And no matter what they say or do, there's a lot of times that child's just going to rebel, and they're not going to listen to that. But that that doesn't stop that parent from trying, nor should it, okay? And there's there's several tactics that this happens. Some of them are more psychological than others. Um, But one example that's really easy for everybody to understand, okay? If a toddler, say, they get their hand very close to a hot stove because they see a shiny pot on top of the stove, and they want that. And they go to pull the handle and they don't know that there's a boiling pot of water that that will seriously injure them, possibly even kill them, if they dump that over on themselves. Now the parents across the room, and they see this happening and they have the full realization, I cannot get to my child in time to physically stop them. I can't do it. Their hand is already just a fraction of an inch away from that pot, but I have got to stop this from happening. I, I have to do whatever it takes to make this not happen the way that it's about to happen and they do this without even a a fraction of a seconds thought it's instinct on what what's about to happen next and you all know what's about to happen next that parents gonna yell that child's name they're gonna yell it very aggressively very forcefully and very assertively to get that child's attention now why because it's for that child's own good it's not to scare the child even though the child does get scared that pretty shiny thing is now by way of their fear, no longer the subject of their obsession, it's replaced with, whoa, what what did, what did mom just say? Or what did dad just say? Or what did auntie or uncle just say? Why did they just yell? And it's not to scare them, but it's for that very specific reason, to use fear as a motivator to stop what they're doing, okay? Tough love. Now, let's take another example that we often, when we when we think of tough love, we don't necessarily think of, you know, uh, yelling at a child to protect them, we think of something that's more difficult to do. It's not quite a, a base instinct in us. So let's take a, an example of a family member that's an addict, okay, and you say a, a parent or another family member loves them and wants the best for them, as they should, right? So what do they do? They they might stage an intervention. And if you've ever watched these shows on TV, there, there's a show called Intervention and it's all about this. They follow a drug addict and they follow the family. And they stage an intervention at the end of it, and the the family or the addict has an opportunity to go and get their help but it's always this very it's always this very tense situation and I notice a few things about these situations in every instance, okay These are under the supervision of psychologists and treatment specialists, and one of the things I notice is that the loved ones are always reading from a script, and most often they're they're torn up there's a lot of tears there's a lot of Uh, There's a lot of emotion flying in the room. And they're reading from a script because they're exercising tough love, and that is something that is extremely difficult to do, even if it's for the best possible outcome. It goes against what you want to do for someone that you love, whether it be another person or yourself, and we'll get into the yourself part in a minute. These people are reading from a script because if if that that psychologist, that psychiatrist that's overseeing this intervention and that's teaching these people how to best connect with their loved one knows that if you allow your own emotion and your psychological reasoning and your logic to get in the way during that situation, your mind will do almost anything it can to get out of that tense situation because we, we seek comfort, not discomfort. And an intervention is a very uncomfortable thing. But when, when you watch these, okay, so you see the people reading from the script, and the res, the the response from the addict is almost always something like, well, why do you want to control me? You just think you're so much better than me. I, I've always just been the screw-up and the black sheep of the family, and it just goes on and on. And looking from the outside, it, it's plain to see for us watching that show that it's done out of care. Those family members aren't there because they want to tear that person down, they do, in a sense. They want to tear them down so that they can rebuild them into the person that they're supposed to be, but they're, they're not doing it for the sake of tearing them down, if you, if you can follow me here. Nobody wants to stage an intervention. It's uncomfortable for everyone involved, including the people that are on the you know, so-called right side of things, that aren't in the spotlight. Nobody wants to do that but, but love real love and tough love says, no, I don't care that this is hard. I don't care that this is uncomfortable because I love you more than I hate this discomfort that you're in and that I'm putting myself through. I love you enough that if you hate me forever because of this, that's fine because you'll have a tomorrow if this goes the way that it should go. That's a deep and that's a pure love that says, I want the better life for you no matter what that means for our relationship. So how does this translate to tough love on yourself? Okay. Well, if you go back and listen to that last part about that intervention and you think of it from a lens of turning that in on, upon yourself, I think you'll start to see a lot of the similarities there. What 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 tough self love is, is it's staging an intervention in the mirror and saying, Hey, look, you know, we both know that you've really messed up, you've done XYZ that you shouldn't have, you've you've started to act a certain way, you started to say certain things, you you've you've slipped on your diet or on your exercise or, or in your work performance, you're just skating through, you're dragging your feet. You're not really living you're not really living the life that we both know that you should or that you're capable of living. You got to get back on track and you got to do it like ASAP yesterday, okay? It's not really like that. There's a little bit of that, but primarily it's not. See, what tough self love is, is simply believing in yourself against all odds. It's enough to say, I'm capable of more than what I'm doing. And I've been cruising through life and operating it. 50 to 60% of my real potential. And and really, if we're being honest with ourselves, most of us, overwhelmingly, the majority of us, are probably more like 20% if we really got down to it. And that's probably even a little bit generous. And you say, well, you think I'm operating at 20%. You don't understand how busy I am, okay? I got a 9 to 5, and I come home, and I clean the house, and I do the dishes, and I'm exhausted when I go to bed, okay? Fine. If that's really your 100%, Nobody can determine that except for yourself. But whenever I look at the common person with a mortgage and a lease on a car payment, and then I look at somebody like, I don't know, Jeff Bezos, the founder and owner of Amazon, Elon Musk, the founder and owner of Tesla Motors, the boring company, uh, countless others that I can't even think of off the top of my mind, These people that started from nothing, that started from the same place that you might be in right now or lower than you. Elon Musk was an immigrant to this country. His parents, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it seems to stick in my mind they had $14 in their pocket when they came to America. That's pretty low. That's a pretty rough start. And if someone like that can do it, they've got to be operating on a higher percentage than I am they've got to be using more of their day more effectively than I am. Well, I know that he's breathing the same air that I am. I know that he's got two legs and and two arms, two eyes and a nose and a mouth. So what stops me from doing that? What stops me from being like that person, from putting that extra effort in? I have more that I can give. I always have more than I can give. And by the way, the only way you'll know that you're completely tapped out is you will literally pass out. You you will your body will literally shut down if you're giving a hundred percent physically or mentally. Your body has mechanisms in place that will shut you down. So you're not giving hundred percent until you literally collapse. And that that's pretty bold and blunt to say it like that. And I'm not saying you should do that. But I'm saying you've got a lot more to give. You know it, and I know it. And I know that I have a lot more to give. We're capable of so much more than we expect from ourselves. <coughs> Pardon me. And that's the problem. We set the bar low for ourselves. You hear about people that don't have running water in their homes, and then 15 or 20 years later, they're a millionaire or more. Why? Because they had that realization that I'm trying to get you to have right now. They realize that the, the guy down the street did it. Why can't I? We both breathe air. We both have eyes and ears, nose and a mouth. He did it. Why shouldn't I? And now, there's, there might be some people listening to this and saying, well, not everybody has that. Well, okay, fine. Even if you don't. Look at people like Ray Charles. That's a blind man. And he could play piano better than 99% of people with fully functioning eyesight. Maybe more than 99%. Ray Charles could beat a piano up, okay? That guy had it going on. And he was blind. Have you ever tried to play the piano? You know how difficult that instrument is? Even, even though it's... I mean, theoretically, it's the easiest because everything's laid out in ascending order, okay? But have you ever tried to play it and make it sound really pretty and really good and full? It's hard. Now, imagine being totally blind and doing that. It's unthinkable. But it's doable. It's doable. And it's only unthinkable if you allow yourself to set bars and, and to set ceilings on what's capable, what what you're capable of. I'll give you a story better, but I'm going to make you do some research to get to it. I want you to Google Jake Olson, USC, as in University of Southern California. Jake Olson, USC. Google that. That story will blow your mind. That story makes even Ray Charles look like he didn't achieve greatness. Okay. Look that up. You'll be glad you did. Jake Olson, USC. You have got to get real with yourself and you've got to refuse to discredit yourself with the words I can't or well, that's not, you know, that that's out of my reach. No, it's not. It's really not. When we're kids, we run around with a cardboard box in our head and fly around the living room and the parents say, what are you doing? You say, I'm an astronaut. And you don't have any reservations about saying that, and you dream of being an astronaut, and that's what you want to do. And then you grow up and you get in school, and they're supposed to be teaching you how to achieve the things that you want to achieve, and yet all that you find is that they're putting fences around you, that they're telling you, well, this is what's practical, this is what you should be focusing on, and it comes from all spectrums. It comes from your peers that try to keep you on their level. It comes sometimes even, unfortunately, it comes from the teachers and the administration. There are a lot of people out there, by the way, high achieving people that were told they were a lost cause in school. It's really sad to think of. And I, I never had a teacher that did that. Thank God. I never had a teacher that told me I couldn't do something, but there's a lot of them out there that As unthinkable as it is, they they will tell a kid that. You should set your bar a little lower. Maybe you're not cut out for what you want to do. And that's a moment of a crossroads for that child. And God help that child and God help that teacher that's ignorant enough to say that. Because that can change a student's life for the wildly better or for the detrimental, wildly worse. But no matter where you are, whether you're a student, whether you're fully grown, when you find yourself at a crossroads where you're being real with yourself and your mind is coming at you from all different angles and telling you, this is what I can do, this is what I can't do, it means accepting that yeah, it's going to be hard. And yeah, there are going to be challenges. And all these things that my mind is trying to tell me, well, you're going to have to overcome this and this, and you don't even know how to do this or that. So what? Everyone's born with the same amount of knowledge, which is none. <laughs> how to breathe, how to blink. And we've got to be spanked on the rear before we can even breathe most of the time. Think about that. Someone got spanky on the rear so you can get up and go learn how to do something today? It means accepting that there's going to be challenges and, and deciding to take the long road versus the easy route. And instead of, instead of, on that piano, pecking out the chorus melody to your favorite pop song on the piano, and then when you go buy a piano display in a store with your friends, and say, oh, hey, hey, hey look, look at this, look at this, and you play that little po- catchy pop tune, you know, just the chorus, because that's all you bothered to learn, and then you smile at your friend, oh yeah, look what I can play. Yeah, it, it takes longer to do it right, to to really learn how to play that piano, and to get to that point where you can play that favorite song of yours. And yeah, it's boring, it takes a lot of discipline. you got to drudge through Jingle Bells and Ora Lee for a week before you can learn to play Bohemian Rhapsody or whatever it is that you really want to play. But if you do it the right way, if you start on the ground level and you work your way up, you'll be stronger because of it. There's a reason we start school in kindergarten and it gets harder as we go. You have to build a foundation. So take for instance, if you build a home, okay? You have to, first you have to dig into the earth. You have to start with what you already have, but then you you have to mess it up. You have to distress it before you can make any real noticeable changes in progress, okay? That's the same thing we have to do with ourselves. We have to take what we have, what we know is not where we really want to be. We have to mess it up a little bit. We got to distress it. We got to make it uncomfortable. With the the house, you have to take your beautiful lawn, and this is a big thing for me, okay, because I'm a big yard guy. I had a really nice lawn out here, but we were putting an addition on the house, and I had to say, okay, we're going to make a mess here. That's all there is to it. I have to disturb this beautiful lawn. We have to dig down so that we can get a good foundation in. I'm going to have to sacrifice some temporary comfort in order to make some progress. Okay, and we did. We moved a bunch of dirt around. We got a big pile of dirt in the backyard now that I have to mow around and weed eat around to make to make sure my yard continues to look nice. But before long, we had a foundation built. okay? And then we, we started to get some framing. You start to see some shape. And yeah, it's still really unfortunate and really inconvenient to be mowing around that dirt pile in the backyard. I still hate it and the grass is starting to encroach up further and further on that dirt pile, so i got to take my weed eater, and i gotta, I got to get up further on that dirt pile, and it's not fun, but I'm seeing progress on my new home. I'm seeing where my temporary discomfort is about to lend itself to a long-term upgrade on my home. I can see some progress. And then the next week, you see walls that go up, and you see a roof that gets on, and now you can walk in. You can walk through. You've got the skeleton framing up. All the all the wall studs are up. You can kind of imagine it. You can walk through the rooms. You can walk down the hall. You can say, "This is where my new big shower is going to go." I can I can stand on the plywood and I can turn around in in where that shower is going to be and I can envision it. And I can say, "Yeah, you know what? This 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 shower is going to be great. Uh, I'm going to have some elbow room in here now. This this is going to be awesome." And you can start to envision. And Then you get walls up. You get the sheetrock up, and now instead of looking through the skeleton of the house, you you actually are walking through your home. You're seeing what you're gonna have, and you're gonna say, Yeah, okay, so this is where the bed's gonna go, and and yeah, there's gonna be a there 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 will be room for an end table right here. That's good. I you know, I was kinda worried about that whenever there was just chalk lines on the floor. Kind of seemed a little bit small, but now I can start to see it, it's coming together. Yeah, this is gonna work. And then you get some paint on the walls. You walk in and all of a sudden you flip a switch on. And now you can see to turn that faucet on and get that water out of that new shower that you were so excited for. There was just an idea. It's the same way with you. Just as suddenly, and not so suddenly, there's a lot of work that goes into it. A lot of time, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, a lot of frustration. A lot of plans that get shifted around and changed and and tweaked and things have to be laid into place. It all has to happen in a certain order in order for everything to run smoothly. But just like that, when you're dealing with yourself, yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, there's going to be discomfort. Yes, it's going to take a lot of time. Yes, there's going to be a lot of things you'd rather be doing than working on yourself. But that's the sacrifice. And that's what it takes. It's going to take a lot of evenings of running wire in a house where there's no airflow at the end of July. And you're going to be have sweat pouring off of you. It's going to take a lot of mowing around a construction site and construction trash, extra weed eating, where it used to be just a smooth pass with a lawnmower. You've got to disturb that norm, and you've got to get uncomfortable for a while. It took a lot of resources to build that house, right? From every aspect of your life, your time, your finances, your patience, sometimes your mental well-being. <laughs> and it's going to be that way when you try to upgrade yourself. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of patience, but this is where that that self-tough love comes in, that tough self love. You got to be honest with yourself. You got to say yes, this is going to be difficult, but it's worth it in the long run. Why do we think we can shortcut anything we do in life, let alone ourselves working on ourselves? Why do we think we can watch a single YouTube video and learn the chorus? Of your favorite song, and call yourself a piano player. Yeah, sure, you can play that one little part. You can you could poke out that melody, which by the way is not even the whole part, because there's probably a bass part that goes with it in the left hand, which you didn't even bother to worry about, because you got the basic part, and anybody that listens to it can can kind of know what you're playing. That's all you wanted. Why why do we do that? Because then what happens is you go back and you listen to your favorite artist play your favorite song, and you say, "Oh, I can play that," but you really can't. <laughs> why? because you tried to shortcut it. It didn't work like like that artist did to craft that, to put the time in. If we're trying to get into shape, whether it's lose weight or gain muscle, whatever it is, it's very difficult to do. And why is that? Well, do this right now. Here's an exercise you can do and I'll prove to you this mental barrier that all of us have a hard time overcoming and it's gonna prove that you struggle with it too but, but, do this right now, drop to the floor and decide how many push ups you're gonna do and make it somewhat challenging. Make it something that you're pretty sure you can do, but that you know is gonna challenge you a little bit, okay so let's just take let's take thirty for example, all right, so you're gonna do these and you're gonna be going and you're gonna you're gonna pump out the first five. No problem, and your mind's gonna say, "Oh, I got it, got it, no problem. you're gonna do the first ten and then at this point in your mind, you're going to get to that round number of 10, your mind's going to start kind of subdividing, it's going to start reasoning, you're going to start playing numbers games, okay? You're going to start saying things to yourself like, man, I'm a third of the way there, I've got 10 done. I just have, That that I just did, I just have to do it two more times, bingo, done, easy. And You probably listen to this, some of you might think I'm crazy, but a lot of you know what I mean, because a lot of you have done this too. I've done it, I do it almost every time, Okay. You get to 15, and you say to yourself, Well oh, man, halfway there. And I, and I, yeah, I'm starting to feel a little bit of heat in the muscles. The blood's starting to flow, and it's starting to burn just a little bit, but I got this. But then suddenly it starts to get a little bit harder. Your progress starts to feel like climbing a hill that gets steeper as you go. And you get to 20, and you say, all right, I'm two-thirds done. Two-thirds, I'm, I'm almost there, two-thirds. You know, back when I was only at 10, I was feeling really good. Well, that 10, that's all I've got left to go now. Then you get to about 22, you get to about 25, and you think, man, I'm glad I only have to go to 30. <laughs> this is starting to get kind of rough. You get to about 27, and everything starts to get intense really fast. And it, it seems like it ramps up really, really fast about right here. All of a sudden, that, that you know, muscle burn that you were feeling, it, it goes from, a I don't know, maybe like a, maybe like a 5. Now all of a sudden, you're, you're at like a 7 on, on the 27th push-up. And that, that's what you feel in that moment. Twenty-eight becomes a little bit more intense. It's about seven point five. Maybe it's an eight. Twenty-nine is an eight point five, and it's it's almost all you can do to push out that twenty-ninth, right? And then, but then all of a sudden, around comes thirty, and bam, that might be the easiest one you did. Why? It's the last one. Physically speaking, it should have been the hardest, but you 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 blow right through it. You crush it. Why is that? Because your mind overrides that pain. And and your, your, your pain level goes from that eight or whatever back to a four because of the adrenaline that kicks in because your mind kicks in and says, I'm glad I'm done. I'm done. That's it. When you did that, you shortchanged yourself because by doing that, you set a goal and you only met it. You didn't try to exceed it. And the fact that you can finish strong is proof that you didn't really push yourself. Because if you really pushed yourself, you would have fallen on your face before you got to your goal. You would, that's, a, that's a thing in weightlifting and strength training. It's go to failure. And anybody that has done any strength training or, or weightlifting knows what go to failure means. It means if you're, doing, if you're pulling a curl-up bar or whatever it is, you literally go until you physically cannot pull it up anymore, and you'll get to that point. Your muscles can only do so much work, and you'll get to that point. But it takes a, a, a massive mental uh, discipline to be able to do that and to truly do that. But if you have that presence of mind to exercise that, that tough self love and to do an extra 10, you know, I set my goal for 30, and yeah, 27 and 28 and 29 were pretty hard, but I got through 30 pretty easy. I'm going to keep going. And even though nothing holds you to it, just because you know you're capable, If you can do that and if you can start practicing that, then you'll get closer to your potential a lot quicker. Your mind is your own biggest enemy whenever you set goals, no matter what they are. And we should be setting goals, but always remember that your mind is your biggest enemy, nothing else. Only you can stop you. If you're dieting, yeah, it might go great. You might be doing fine. But then Friday night comes around, and your friends are going out to eat, and you say, oh, well, you know, everybody wants to go to you know Applebee's or whatever. Ah, they got salads. I can go out to eat. Yeah, all right. I'll go enjoy myself with my friends. All right. I'll be good. Sure. Okay. But then you know what's going to happen. Somebody at that table, almost as if by an act of the temptation gods, someone's going to order that massive chocolate chip cookie skillet it's all melted chocolate chips, and it's bubbling, and then there's that big scoop of vanilla ice cream on top of it, and oh, my good Lord, baby Jesus, that thing looks delicious. And you suddenly start to think, well, I did work out today. I mean, you know, this is, I'll just use this as my cheat meal. It wasn't really supposed to be until tomorrow, but I'll skip tomorrow. It'll all be good. Yeah, okay? Congratulations. You burned 300 calories in an hour of a workout and you're about to shove 700 down your face in five minutes. That cookie is going to undo everything you did on your workout, plus the next two days, whether you take that next cheat meal, and we both know you will, or you don't. Because you refuse to push yourself to your true potential. To even hold yourself accountable in a lot of cases. And to have true, tough self-love is to push yourself into something you're not entirely sure that you can do. Where you have to ask man, what did I get myself into? Why am I doing it? Why am I putting myself through this? There should be a ton of times where you ask yourself, why am I doing this? If you listen to accounts of of, of military veterans going through training, they volunteer. There's not a draft these days. There was a draft back in the days of Vietnam. These days, there's not. So it's fully volunteer, and a lot of them will recount their basic training or their, their BUDS classes, or, or any of their training classes, and they'll say, what have I done? Why am I here? What did I get myself into? What am I thinking? That's how you know you're getting outside of your comfort zone. You're pushing and you're making real results and real change, because nothing ever happens in a comfortable situation, nothing. You cannot be comfortable and get any progress achieved. You can't even have a decent meal without getting up from the couch. Because you either have to cook it, or at the very least, you got to answer the door for the pimply-faced delivery guy to bring you your pizza that you shouldn't be eating on your diet. Nothing happens from a place of true comfort. Nothing. Nothing comes from inaction. Nothing comes from comfort. Mediocrity, at best, comes from normalcy and from meeting your goals. And greatness doesn't come until you push beyond what you believe you could do. Until you get very very uncomfortable. That is how you exercise true, tough self-love, which is the only kind of real self-love, by the way. And that is how you feed your good wolf.